What do you do if you're feeling hungry? Do you eat? Or do you tell yourself you shouldn't eat? Or do you have an argument in your head about whether or not you should or shouldn't eat? And then do you have an argument about what's good food and bad food? And then if there's chocolate in front of you and you're really hungry and you feel like a chocolate, do you say to yourself, no, I shouldn't have that chocolate, it's bad for me? Or I'd really love to have that chocolate and you get angry because you can't have it. Do you live in a headspace where food is controlling your life or do you just eat when you're hungry, stop eating when you're full and enjoy everything that you eat? So I've got in front of me water, which most people will uh, not argue that it's very important. The challenging thing about water though, that people still do argue about whether or not you should drink water in a plastic bottle, whether it should come uh, through a filtration system, whether it, whether it should come from a spring in Fiji, how much water you should drink, is it eight glasses, is it two litres, is it one litre for every kilogram or 25 kilograms of body weight? And there's a lot of argument about water, just that simple thing. So then if you bring chocolate <laughs> into the equation, uh, there are people who would never eat chocolate because they think it's a killer food. Uh, I always ask this question, if you were starving, hungry, and you hadn't eaten for two weeks, and you found a bowl of chocolate, would that bowl of chocolate be a killer food, or would it be a superfood, because it's going to keep you alive? And I think there's some of the questions that we get so caught up in the controversy of food, that we forget that it's just carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, uh, in different makeups of molecules to produce something that we put into our body for energy. And that's, I know, very unemotional, but that's simply what food is. Then you'll hear that everything to do with your human body, your health, your fitness, your vitality, your energy, your hair, your skin, your nails, all of that must be produced in the kitchen, which is why I'm standing in the kitchen. I like to come into the kitchen to eat food and thoroughly enjoy my food. And I'm going to ask you that very important question. If you are an exercise professional, if you are a personal trainer, if you're still calling yourself that, if you are a nutritionist, an exercise physiologist, a cardiologist, an endocrinologist, anybody who's talking about food fueling the human body, why did you become that in the first place? Why did you decide that you wanted to learn about what food does inside the body or what's good food or what's bad food or what was your driving force to find out about fueling the human body? And I'm asking that question because today I've had a really sad experience to do with food. And just as a backtrack on that, as a results coach, as a personal exercise coach, all of my clients at one stage were people who had a horrible relationship with food. Uh, technically anorexics, bulimics, exercise bulimics, obese people, morbidly obese people, whose relationship with food was totally screwed up. And I always thought I really want to help. So I'm hoping that your desire to learn about food and nutrition and diets and, and exercise even is all about wanting to help people. But the missing factor that happened today and a really sad thing that happened to a very special person in my life was they went to see an expert uh, to do with having a healthy, fit, strong body. And the person failed to find out about that individual person. So they gave this gorgeous person information about exercise and eating and how the human body works and diseases that are caused when the human body isn't working properly. Uh, and a lot of scaremongering about type 2 diabetes and coronary heart disease and obesity and cancer and all the horrible things that come with an unhealthy body. But the session wasn't about the individual person that came to get help. It was about preaching. 
literally preaching and telling about what you can do and what you can't do, what you should do and what you shouldn't do, what you can eat and what you can't eat. And this beautiful person who, who went to see a medical professional because they had a sore back, not because they wanted to learn about food and not because they wanted to learn about exercise. But for some reason, this particular medical professional or medical person decided that they were going to preach at this person without finding out about the individual. Why are you here? And I'm going to ask now very personally, if you are an exercise professional like me, if you are a parent, a teacher, a coach, if you're a nutritionist or a medical professional, allied health professional, and you really want to help people to be healthy, fit and strong and to live with energy and vitality and, and be a happy person for the rest of their life physically and mentally, shouldn't the first step be to find out about the individual person that's in front of you at the moment? One of the real big challenges I have with let's send out diets and exercise programs via the internet to people that we don't even know. How could you possibly write a diet for somebody? How could you possibly create an exercise program for somebody that you've never spoken to? Are they male or female? Are they old or young? How much muscle do they have? What's their metabolism? What's their respiratory quotient? What's their resting heart rate? What's their blood pressure? What foods do they like? What foods don't they like? There's a whole heap of things about an individual person that will ask the question, should we know about that person before we deliver information? Is it possible that if we don't find out about the person that we could screw up their head? And that's exactly what happened to the person in my life today. They've come away from this medical professional angry, depressed, annoyed, frustrated. And the first place they went after the medical professionals was to McDonald's and ate a large amount of food, angry because somebody had told them what to eat. Now, whether you agree with that or you think it's a good thing or a bad thing or you just want to get into a discussion about that, it doesn't matter. That's what happened. This beautiful person went to get help for a medical injury and they came out of there so angry that they went to a takeaway food place and ate a large amount of food. And I'll use a simple example. If you tell a child you can't have, mustn't have, don't have, shouldn't have, is it possible that that child wants to do it more? If somebody says to you, don't do that, it's bad for you, don't you think to yourself, I wonder why? And so now you're thinking about it. And two things happen, and particularly because I've got a bowl of chocolate in front of me. If you really want to have a chocolate and somebody says to you, you can't have that, it's bad for you, but you really want to have a chocolate, one of two things could happen. Please consider this. One is that you'll eat the chocolate and feel really guilty because somebody told you it's bad for you and you shouldn't eat it. And is there some, not some kind of connection with if you tell somebody that that's a bad food and they eat it, that they might feel like a bad person. And then what happens? And because my career path is, most of my career path as a personal results coach was helping people that had a bad relationship with food, they all shared with me that that's exactly what happened. They wanted the food, they were told they couldn't have it, they had it anyway, they felt guilty and then that started a horrible downward spiral to having a terrible relationship with food and with themselves. The second thing that could happen when somebody says don't have, can't have, mustn't have is that you believe that person. That's a, that's a medical professional, that's a doctor, that's a dietitian, that's a, a personal trainer, they must know so I won't have it. I really love chocolate and I really want it but I won't have it. So now I'm thinking about it all the time but I can't have it. Is it possible that I get angry, frustrated, annoyed, 
Hangry is a great term that's come up just recently. So I want, I'm hungry for that food and I'm angry that I can't have it. So now I become hangry. And what are we doing to people's headspaces when we give out information like that? If you're going to talk to somebody about food, could it be a really good idea to find out what they love to eat? And if you want to build a relationship with somebody, if you want them to be healthy for the rest of their life, wouldn't you follow that up with this gorgeous statement of, if you love to eat this, your healthy eating plan will always include the foods that you love. Because why would you screw with somebody's head and tell them that they can't have something that they really love? Shouldn't the next question be, what is it that you don't like to eat and for whatever reason? There's foods that you don't like, yeah? And if somebody said to you, you have to eat these because they're healthy or you have to eat them because they're good for you, you might eat them, but would you, will you enjoy them? No, because you don't like them. I always ask, why would you waste calories on food that you don't like? And if you want to build a relationship with somebody, isn't it possible that relationship will break down pretty quickly if you tell them they can't have the things that they want and they have to have the things that they don't want? But even worse than that, what are we doing to the person's headspace when it comes to just loving life? Why would you want to eat foods that you don't like? And it goes a bit further than that with the foods that people don't eat. Because it might be for religious reasons, it might be for ethical reasons, it might be for very personal reasons that they're not going to touch that food. But if you tell them you have to have that and they don't want to have it, what does that do to their headspace? If you really want to help somebody, and that's my big question for today, do you want to help people to be healthy, to be fit, to be strong, to be energetic, to have great hair, great skin, great nails, to have a strong immune system, to have a healthy headspace, strong self-esteem, strong self-confidence, a fast metabolism, a respiratory quotient that prefers to burn fat when you're resting, all those great things that happen when we have a fit, strong body. Wouldn't it be better to talk about uh, injecting energy, enthusiasm and excitement into your life by doing this short burst of high-intense activity rather than you have to exercise for half an hour. It was one of the things that was shared with this beautiful person today. You have to go for a walk for half an hour every day. And she did. <laughs> uh, her calf muscles burnt the whole way. And the next day she couldn't walk. She was so sore. Why would we do that to somebody? Why would we pick 30 minutes out of our bum and say, go walk for 30 minutes? Why is it 30, not 28? What if she only did three? And what if she did high intense burst of high energy activity to change her brain space so she had neurotransmitters pumping through her brain to make her feel fantastic rather than I feel like a loser because I can't have the foods that I love and I have to go and walk for 30 minutes and I hate walking. Why would we give a prescription to somebody for food or exercise? And that question goes both ways. What do you love to eat and let's always include that? What don't you like to eat and let's never include that? Don't we do that with exercise too? What do you love to do? What, what ways do you like to move your body that excites you? And sometimes I always add this question because sometimes people say, I don't like anything. And I'll say, well, which one do you hate the least? Which one can we uh, excite you to inject your body with energy, enthusiasm and excitement for just 10 seconds? Because that's the phosphate system. That's the 100% energy system. And that's the one that changes your brain. And that's the question that I always ask. We always talk about abdominals are made in the kitchen and 80% of your results come from food. Is it possible that if you get somebody really fit and really strong, that their brain will change automatically? They'll want to drink more water because they'll be thirsty because their endocrine system will be working to tell them that they're thirsty. 
Is it possible that they'll only eat when they're hungry and they'll stop eating when they're full because their endocrine system will be working? That's what the hormones in our body are designed to do. Tell us what we need and tell us to stop when we don't need any more. And when you get puffed at 100% high intense activity in the phosphate system, you have a, a massive chemical change in your body. Uh, epinephrine, adrenaline, cortisol is produced. Then your body uh, produces this magical gift called dopamine, reward drug. Congratulations, you overcame the challenge. You are a legend. That's what I wished for this beautiful girl today. She walked out of that medical professional's office feeling like a loser. Instead of, if you got her to do something flat out, hard, intense activity for 10 seconds, she would have walked out there on a high, on a mental high and a physical high. Dopamine is a reward transmitter. Serotonin is a satisfaction transmitter. It makes us feel satisfied with our life. Not miserable about our life, satisfied with the, with the amazing life that we have. Uh, endorphins are a pain-killing happy drug. So the 10 seconds that you need to, to put that high-intense energy injection into your body, endorphins produce the painkiller so it doesn't even hurt. That's why I get cranky when people go past 10 seconds because the lactate system, which is the next part of the energy systems that the body relies on to move, that produces lactic acid, that burning sensation that is exactly what happened to this gorgeous girl when she went walking. She had a burning sensation in her calf muscles, which really hurt. And that's not exploding fat cells, as we know. That is exactly the opposite. If you've got a burning sensation, it means that you're not burning fat. Why would we give people exercise to do that makes their muscles burn? Because it's not the muscles that are burning. It's just lactic acid pushing up against nerve endings and causing pain. Why would we do that to somebody? For most people that are unfit, lactic acid makes them feel sick as well, nauseous and burning. How ridiculous. And then if you go past two minutes and you go into the aerobic system, now we're burning, yes, fat and yes, carbohydrate and yes, a little bit of protein, but really slowly and it's really boring and results take a really long time. Why do we do that to people? Here's my personal question. If you really want to help people, could it be a really good idea? There's three parts. How do we get fit? How do we get strong? And then how do we customize that information to suit the person that's in front of us? Everybody's different. The questions are always the same, but the answers are always different. What do you like to eat? Let's always include that. What don't you like to eat? Let's never include that. What are you eating at the moment and why do you eat that way? Isn't that a really important question to ask? Where do you like to eat? What are your favorite places? When do you like to eat? What's the best time of the day for you to eat? How do you feel if you do eat? How do you feel if you don't eat? They're really powerful questions because they tell you a lot about the emotional attachment that somebody has to their food. Are you on track or off track to achieving your goals when it comes to your food? If you were your own high performance eating coach, what advice would you give yourself? And that's the magic question. And when I asked that question today, I got the exact right answer. This beautiful, smart, intelligent girl knows exactly what she needs to do. She doesn't need some medical person to tell her that she needs to eat a little bit differently if she wants to be healthy. But wouldn't it be better for her to come up with that information for herself and talk to herself about what's good for her rather than have somebody preach at her and say, you're a bad person, you're a loser because you don't look at the way that people are supposed to look. I don't even know what that is anymore. And then this beautiful question to finish with, which is, what do you want from me? If I'm really going to help you, what do you actually need from me? And is it possible that that answer is going to be different for everybody? Some people want help with their food. Some people don't. Leave them the hell alone. They love the way that, that they eat. Some people want help with their strength training, but they don't want help with their huffy puffy. 
leave everything alone unless they want your help. Is it possible that we should be giving people or investing time with people who want our help, not the people that we think we should be preaching at? Why do we preach at all? If you really want to help people, could it be a really good idea to find out how to get them fit, how to get them strong, and then how to personalize their eating and exercise plan to suit their lifestyle? Inject yummy food into their body and inject high-intense energy, enthusiasm, and excitement burst of activity into their body so their brain works better, their body works better, they feel fantastic, and they feel like a winner. Wouldn't that be a great way to make people feel like a winner? So they can sing every day like I do. Super duper do, how are you? I am simply amazing. I wish everybody would be able to sing that every single day. I am amazing. Woohoo!